This is LaQuest, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Hello, this is Pablo Espinosa with LaQuest. Welcome to our episode of Rap on Trial. It is focused around Assembly Bill 2799, the Decriminalizing Artistic Expression Act, allowing all artists to freely create art, whether that would be music lyrics, poetry, or any other creative content, without fear of being prosecuted simply for creating it. Joining us for a very animated conversation are the bill's author, Assemblymember Reginald Jones-Sawyer, UC Irvine professor and researcher Cherise Kubrin, the Recording Academy CEO Harvey Mason Jr., and Grammy Award-winning hip-hop icon and founder and CEO of Rock the Bells, artist LL Cool J. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a conversation about Assembly Bill 2799, the decriminalizing of, of, of uh, creative content. And while we will be talking about rap lyrics, it really is not just about rap lyrics. It is about assembly member, right? Yes. Any creative content that artist that unfortunately is being used, how and how have you changed that with your legislation? And what do you hope comes next? Well, what started is uh, I'm the chair of public safety in the city of Los Angeles, for the state of California. And uh, I started looking at racial bias, criminal justice. And I really didn't know how bad it was when it came, came to people and artistic expression. And you found out there's like over 500 cases of prosecute, overly prosecuting and using it to put young African-American Latino men in jail, even though they may not have had anything to do with the crime. And uh, there were other efforts in New York that were tried that failed. And so we took it on, knowing that if we worked with the judges, this is the interesting part, we worked with the judges of the state of California to make this law happen. And that's ultimately why we're able to get it passed. Because if you do use your lyrics, or if the lyrics is part of an actual crime, it can be used. Um, but you cannot use it if, you're, if it was not part of, the, a part of a crime. In fact, we take it out of the framework in front of the, the jury. The judge, along with the prosecutor and the defense attorney, talk about it. And if the judge decides it can be used, then it can be used. So there's a misconception conception that if someone does do something wrong and does make a uh, use their lyric as a way to describe a crime that they actually did, it can be used for that. And so th I think that's why we were able to get ours passed because um, it's about having justice, not just us. And Harvey, uh, you guys, the Recording Academy, came behind this legislation in full on. Um, as a represent, representative of so many different artists that have signed on letters that supported not just California's bill, but in New York. And in New York, it was very high profile, but it didn't go through. Tell us a little bit about the frustration on behalf of all those artists. You have been a longtime producer yourself and an artist yourself about having the creative work of artists used against them. Where do I start? It's absolutely unacceptable, unconscionable as an artist. I can imagine what it would feel like to try and be in a studio or in a creative space and be constricted and be uh, worried about what I write and how that would affect me in the future. And to think that that's anywhere in a creator's mind, and I'll let LL talk about it because he's much more uh, involved in the actual writing process 
and has had such amazing success. I'd love to hear from him. But for me, to think that an artist would have to ever concern themselves about lyrics being used to indict them in a court of law is ridiculous. And it's across all art forms, but specifically affecting rap artists right now. And so that's why we are so passionate about it and working so hard on it at the Academy. It's unacceptable, can't be tolerated. Elko, you have been doing this for a while. <laughs> and I don't mean to say that you're old because I'm, I'm older than I'm, I'm older than you are, but I think it's funny. Uh, right? Well, you know, let's go there then. How old were you when you first started? Professionally, or when when you recorded your first tracks in your grandparents' home? Well, when I became a fan of hip hop, I started writing. I was around eleven or twelve. I was a fan at nine, eight or nine. I started writing around eleven or twelve. I started making demos at fourteen. It made my first professional recording at 16. So that's kind of the, the journey. But but going back to, you know, what everyone is, the topic, I think that, you know, the issue is really that um, you're basically telling a group of artists that they don't have the ability to dream and imagine and that uh, they can't, they aren't, they don't, they're, they're, they're unable to create. Because if everything is looked at as factual, then that means there are no dreamers and there's no creativity and there's no creators. Basically what you're saying is that anything you write is like a legal doc. It's, there's no creativity. It's all facts, which is a very odd thing to think about because what if I, you know, what if I did a cover tune of a, of a, of a song from another genre that had very violent lyrics? What are you going to do with that? And I'm so glad that you just brought that topic because that is exactly what Professor Kubrin has been doing. And, and, and tell us a little bit, um, and forgive me, but this is a podcast, so I want to say something that I asked to you. You know, how did a, a white Anglo-Saxon woman get involved? And I say this respectfully. You and I laughed about this, but th there's a point behind that. Get involved with all of this. How did you start it when you were a young girl? And then how, how did you translate into helping bring about justice to particularly young artists who never had the resources or the ability to defend themselves, the experimental research you did? Sure. Well, first of all, nerdy professor moment of a lifetime right here sitting here. This is really exciting to be here. Thank you. I got I was always a fan of hip hop when I was growing up. Of course, I knew all of the work of LL and others at the time. It ended up being a research interest of mine later on, but it wasn't until 2011 when I got contacted out of the blue by an attorney who had a client, an aspiring rapper, college student and aspiring rapper who was having his lyrics used against him in a criminal case, claiming it was a terrorist threat. And this attorney wanted to know if I would content analyze his rap lyrics like I had done in some of my research and talk about whether I thought it was a true threat or it was actually lyrics, dreaming, thoughts, you know, just whatever you put pen to paper on. My first reaction was, what? Why are lyrics coming in? This has no probative value. There's no relevance. He was found guilty despite the fact that these were absolutely not true literal lyrics. That started me down a jury journey of trying to figure out how prosecutors are using rap lyrics and videos to put away young men of color who are aspiring rappers. And I've done some experimental research that shows that jurors and others are playing on stereotypes that prosecutors are using about young men of color as inherently threatening and dangerous. This experimental research shows that there are unique stereotypes and biases associated with rap in terms of um, perceptions of 
dangerousness and that sort of thing that you don't see with violent content in other music genres. What was it exactly that you presented to the people that were involved in your focus groups? Right. Different music genre. Right. When I would testify in these cases, I would see the, the stereotype and bias activated, but I didn't know how to show it. We did some experimental research. We presented people with violent lyrics, actually from a folk song of all things. We told some people they were rap music lyrics, others country music, other rock, heavy metal. Then we asked people a bunch of questions about the lyrics, like how threatening or dangerous do you think they are? How offensive are they? How literal or true might they be? Should they be banned from the radio? What we found is people who thought the lyrics they were evaluating were rap were much more likely to evaluate them negatively and see them as threatening dangerous when the very same lyrics were treated as country. You know, you know, just to, to chime in, I mean, you know, like the reality is that I mean, this is a world where it's not what's being done is who's doing it. You know what I'm saying? And it's not really, an, it's really not a conversation about right and wrong. It's about legal and illegal. Because right and wrong and illegal and illegal are completely different things. Completely different. And you run into trouble when you start thinking that, you know, right and wrong matters. It does. It should. But you run into trouble when you think it matters in a court of law or in certain circles of this world, certain there's certain rooms where it's not about right and wrong. For certain people. For certain people, exactly. And so, exactly, and that's my point. So it's like, my thing is, these artists are not, you know, um, they're not like parrots that participate. You know, they're not just, you know, you don't like, like if I, if I, you know, write a rhyme about, I don't know, being Frank White, or if I write a song about being Pablo Escobar, that doesn't make me pop. What if I do it in the poetic form? Like in poetry, one of the forms of poetry, one of the things in poetry is you talk about things without ever naming that thing, okay? So if I took that, if I took that as an example, if I took that as, as a way to approach a song and started writing a song about Pablo Escobar but never mentioned Pablo Escobar and said, I do this, I made this much a week, I, I moved this many keys, I did this. Now all of a sudden I'm guilty of drug trafficking? It's ridiculous. It, it's so, it's, it's a, so you really gotta like, what they gotta kinda, they gotta kinda get serious about like what they're doing. And I think that what's, what you're really seeing and the only reason that they can do that is because you're dealing with people where they can take advantage of them because they don't have the, 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 the ability to defend against those kinds of attacks, right? In the same remember, this, none of this comes as a surprise to you, and it is exactly what LL just said that has been an impetus, right? For, right. quite frankly, your work uh, all of these years, not just with this bill at the, at the legislature, uh, you have seen this firsthand. And one of the things that I, I want to make sure that everybody understands, this is a slippery slope. Like LL said, this could seep into poetry. It could seep into dance. It could seep into all the art forms that we had that it could be used against someone. I'll use LL. If he plays a gangster and a friend of his dies and it's the same type of murder that he commits in a film, a character he plays, they could show that film to a jury that could be influenced. You you, you play that in, in a movie, so you must have done it. Great actors out there. Think about the great directors who have directed gangster films without bringing their names into right. it. Right. But just think about those great gangster films and those great actors and those great directors. What happens if we say, oh, he got in an argument with somebody, and but look at the films yes. he directs. Yes. I mean, yes. Like you can't. It's also what Harvey says, though. The, the reality is, is that people don't look at those things unless, you know, 
people look like you and I. But, Professor, this has been happening for a long time. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is the slippery slope, but it also started in one place, which is hip-hop and rap music, right? And there's no surprise that that is the music, that the artistic expression that is being targeted based on who makes the music and the stereotypes that I've been referring to. So that's the problem, is that rap is uniquely treated this way in the courts. You do not find this for other forms of artistic expression. Yeah, and what I would say is, I would just I would put the focus on the fact that hip-hop and hip-hop artists and rap artists are creators. And, you know, there is a lot of power that goes into the songwriting. There's a lot of thought. There's a lot of dreaming. There's a lot of imagination. And, you know, it, everything doesn't have to be I am pentameter for it to be poetry. You know, it can be incredible prose. You know, there's just so much that goes into it that, you know, the creativity. And so to recognize the creativity is the key. I think if we look, the, look, the, the, the racist stuff and all of that, you, that's going to always be there. It's not going anywhere. We can have 50,000 podcasts. We can look west, east, north, south, up, down. You know, it's about the creativity. It's about recognizing that these artists are creators and they have the ability so, like, a, a writer can look out of the project window, a hip-hop artist will look out of their housing, if they're in that situation, look out and see things going on in the environment and write from a first-person point of view about things going on in the it, environment. That's exactly what I was going to say. It is not just about music. It is about storytelling. Exactly. And, and, I've, and I think the storytelling, not yes, to interrupt. No, please. We can't dilute that. Mm -hmm. We can't take that away from people because what makes music so powerful is the ability for it to tell stories and for it to make people realize things that are going on. Uh, case in point, 1982, The Message by Grandmaster Flash. That is the song That's, that was your favorite song. got me into really? hip-hop and rap music from the jump. And read, read, read that. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't need to read it. I know. Let me get you going. Listen on the stage, you know, they just don't care. <laughs> but was rats in the front room? Right, roaches in the you, back. You can't take the noise. You got no money to move out I because I have no, no choice. choice. Yeah. And you know that message. Many years later, is still relevant in our communities among young people, our neighborhoods. Unfortunately, right. And I know you and your colleagues, assembly member, are working to uh, to address housing, and that's a whole other podcast. Well, we're also working for reparations. Sure. And there's songs like "Can't Trust It," which talks about slavery. Which when I when I when I danced to it, I didn't really listen to it. But if you really listen to the meaning of it about slavery and slave ships and, and, and not being able to trust the society right now and how do we get over that? And what we're doing, our, the reparations committee is actually looking at how we can address the wrongs that have been done in California for African-Americans. And, and so you make a great point that sometimes we just kind of dance to it and we don't listen. To we it. don't listen, yes. Yes. I, I just think that you have to allow artists the room. Artists should have the room to create. And um, do we... Do we judge, you know, the sculpture David? Do we judge the, the creator of the sculpture David because the David is nude? Is he a pervert? Right. Like, where are we going with this? Like, how far are we going to go with the judgment of art? Um, I think, I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, art, look, I could go through my catalog and find lots of things that I said that people could deem threatening. Like, there's lots of things I've said that maybe the bigger and larger hits were a little more fun and friendly, but I have a real, really extensive, deep catalog of music, and it's not all the big major hits that people know. Everything's not just Mama Said Knock You Out. But even take Mama Said Knock You Out for an example. That didn't mean, that doesn't mean I went around beating up old ladies. You know what I mean? Like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you know, like, so we can, you gotta let people, 
my thing is the the focus has to be on the idea that these artists are creators and they should they can dream. You know, my mother took me, you know, one to my first concert when I was like eleven or twelve years old at the Armory, and it was um it was Grandmaster Flash and the Treacherous wow. Three and Sequence and all of them, and you know, I was the first generation of artists that grew up to hip hop, right? So I I was a fan of hip hop before it became records, before it was on wax. I was listening to the Cold Crush. I was listening to all those artists, and then I was in that wow. generation 1.5 that came right after the first wave, right? So like myself and Run DMC are like we kind of came. I came a little after them. So and then things kind of just went forward from there. But I would tell you, these artists are artists, and I think the thing that we have to remember, I think the key, the key to this whole thing, the real focus is, it, is this person capable of creating? and imagining something and, and creating a story or an idea. Because if, 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 if they're not, because if they're not capable, if you basically what you're saying is you're not capable of imagining anything, you only can write the truth. In fact, that's a, that's a higher standard than they give to journalists. Well, we know that's not acceptable. Yeah. And that's why, Restore artistic protection. There you go. Is so important. The Rap Act is something we're all working on. We got it passed in California, thankfully. We're going to get it passed in other states. It's introduced in, I think, five other states across the country. We're working on a federal level with representatives Bauman and Johnson. They've introduced it. We've got to get this thing passed. And that's why I'm excited to be here from an advocacy standpoint at the Academy. This is what I care about. This, this is the things that get me excited. We can't have artists concerned when they're writing, looking over their shoulder, is this going to be used against me? Is this going to affect the rest of my life? We want creativity. We want storytelling. We want artists to feel free and have the ability to write either what they dream up, as LL said, or what they create, or maybe what they feel inside. What, what they, they observe. It, and, and it's already having a chilling effect. In many cases where I've testified, the aspiring rappers have, even when they've been you know, found not guilty or the case turned over on appeal, they have decided, up. Oh, I'm exiting because it has a real chilling effect on the ability to be creative. And I also think back to your point, LL, when you are saying, when you are putting rap on trial, that's what I call it, when you are putting rap on trial this way, you are basically denying rap the status of art. And that to me is hugely problematic. You talk about slippery slope, slippery we're going slope. beyond, like yeah. we can, I mean, this can go so much deeper. I mean, we can look at, so many different paintings and get into this. We can look at so many pieces of music and poetry and get into this. We could look at, I mean, you could look at books. books. You could look yeah. at uh, Thucydides. You could look at like, the, you know, the history of the Peloponnesian Wars and the things that were going on. And like, I mean, and that's supposed to be an objective look at something. That's objective. Like, so I just but that's think- the point. It, when it comes back to it, it's always rap that's standing trial, not other forms of artistic expression or and, other forms of media. And the focus, and that's the focus the is, and not by accident. And I think that the, the the focus that we have to, in the the thing that I think is important to communicate is that these these young people and these people are artists. They are artists, and they are creating art, like you said, creativity, Harvey. You know what I'm saying? They are creating art. And okay. so that's very important because remember, art doesn't mean you have to appreciate it. Right. That's not the purpose of art. The purpose of art is for an artist to create the art and someone appreciates it. Because so just because I don't like the Mona Lisa and I think she's smirking at me 
and calling me a clown because I'm projecting onto the Mona Lisa doesn't mean that's the facts. You feel me? It's not art. We're in an era where, in my profession, we have politicians that are trying to ban things right now, and we've, we've got to fight against that. I know they call it woke. I call it being able to be American. Because being American is open to can, all. You know, I got I got you know, can I just say something about that? Like, here's the funny thing, right? You can ban all the books you want. They're still available. You can find PDFs online for free. So I, I don't know what that's accomplishing. You know, it, 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 I guess it stops those access. I, that's what I was going to say. It, stop, it curtails access to those things. I would focus more on, guys, ladies and gentlemen, let's read. Go on the internet and read. Do your homework. Study. You know, teach yourself. Larry. I, including the lyrics and in, in, in also understanding the underlying message of those lyrics. But that's what and, I try and do on the stand sure. is provide the Read. context so that when people in the jury are hearing the lyrics, I, I mean, I liken it to, for many of these jurors, never having seen a horror film and then being taken to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. If you have no knowledge of rap music, you don't know anything about it, and you're a 65-year-old you know, person yeah, you're going to be affected by that because that's not something you're familiar with and in, you've been, you know, brainwashed with the stereotypes as well. That's, that's the problem with our judicial system. That, right, that's why it's important for judges and, and you know, and others to, to make sure that so, the jurors have the facts and the information in order to make an informed decision. You're, you're right. The thing, though, the thing about what you're really fighting is it's not facts. You're fighting context. Right. And the context is set by society. The context is set before the juror walks in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. The context has already been set. Yes, a bad guy. Right. He's a killer. He's a gangster. He's a this. He's a that. She's a this. She's a that. So when they walk in, that's the context. That's the lens that they're looking at these lyrics through. You said it. You showed us with your research, which sounded very smart to me and compelling. Like your research showed you that it's really just context. Mm -hmm. So these I, I, I would also say that. A lot of these d defense attorneys, especially the ones that are um, the public defenders, have got to get, I think, a little bit more focus in the area of providing context and making sure that they, they, they are able to express and articulate why these particular artists are indeed artists. And, and one thing on that you know I me? just want to add, which is defense attorneys themselves aren't familiar with hip-hop and rap music. Some and them. that's what, sub. Some of them are rapping. Most of them are call. rapping all day in their cars. And that's why and my colleague, that's true. My colleague, Jack Lurie, and I, you see, I created a legal guide for attorneys who are involved in rap on trial cases, providing the context for them about the history of hip-hop and rap, explaining a lot of the you know, artistic norms and conventions that go on. So when rappers say, like, I'm keeping it real, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are literally keeping it real. And then we talk about the case law that is helpful so that attorneys can have the tools they need in the courtroom. You're listening to Look West. This is a podcast by Assembly Democrats. It's Pablo Espinosa. And the focus of this episode is Assembly Bill 2799, which has now become law, the Decriminalizing Artistic Expression Act. The author, Assemblymember Reginald Jones Sawyer, is with us, Professor Kubrin with the UC Irvine, Harvey Mason, CEO of the Recording Academy, of course, L L Cool J, 
LL, you took the time to come over well, here and talk about something listen, that, you know, normally people don't hear you talk about. Well, look, I'm not, I, I don't have any political aspirations. That's not my thing. You know, everybody does their thing. You know what I'm saying? I, in fact, I'm an independent. Like, I, I'm really like, I ain't got no aspirations, B. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I, but the that means is that it's about engagement. About but that but I do, I did, I did, I was willing to step up for this. Yes. One, Harvey asked me and I thought it was really important to him. And I thought that was a cool thing. So he invited me. But secondly, the topic that you're talking about is something that I believe is, is it, I believe in the power of artists. And I believe in the power of arts, and of the arts. And I believe artists have a voice and they deserve to be heard and they shouldn't be penalized. Like, you know, they always try to, you know, we, we live in a great country in a lot of ways. We have a lot of dirty laundry. We know that. But in a lot of ways, the country is great. There's a lot of things that aren't right. It's not perfect, but there are some good things about it. A lot of times, we'll see artists get arrested in other countries outside of, of, of America. We'll see artists get arrested for saying certain things. We, get, we see them get thrown in jail. We see them get thrown in this and thrown in that. And we look at that and we judge that harshly. But then we turn around and do the same thing here. So that's why it goes back to the idea of it's not what's being done, it's who's doing it. That's why I say that right and wrong and illegal and legal have nothing to do with each other. They're like two different planets. And I think once we understand that, then we can really get into it. But the most important thing, and this is the thing I wanna just, the point I wanna set home is this is not about hating anybody. This is about the arts and recognizing these, these artists recognizing these hip-hop artists as artists. They're artists. Melly Mel, when he wrote the message, Duke Boo with Duke Booty, they're artists. You know what I'm saying? It's not about, like, you know, if a guy, if Master P wrote a song, he's an artist. He may not be your cup of tea. Right. But if he's not your cup of tea, then, you know, go to a coffee house. No, you know what I'm saying? Have an open mind and, and, <laughs> and then look at art. Like you're saying, sometimes you don't even have to appreciate it, but at first, at least look at it. Can I just simplify yes, right. it? We're not going to cure the ills of society. We're also not going to overcome uh, the shortfalls that are happening in our legal system. We're not going to be able to fix who the jurors are. We're not going to be able to teach defendant or defenders or prosecutors about rap lyrics and culturalize them into what that means. We're not going to be able to do that. But what we can do is put some guardrails around this stuff. We can pass legislation. That's right. I agree with that 100%. You know I said, remember, how is this going to help? How is California going to help the country move in that direction in which we have moved already thanks to your legislation? Well, I'm hoping that they look at my legislation as, as the base that we, as you say, we go higher. Build on. But at least get to my, get to California level. And then you move, if you move the needle, then, then I can move the needle even more so. And as we bring this to a close, Harvey, and I have noticed, I see in the bios, and it's, you know, no longer does it say, you know, reggaetonero or, or, or rapper, it's, it's artist. Has there been something very deliberate by the industry to present that perspective of LL saying, you know, we're, we're creators, we're artists, to the rest of the society? I don't know if it's deliberate or it's just happened over time. I think genres are changing. There's blending of sounds. You can't specify exactly what type of music somebody makes. And I think, as LL said, regardless of the genre, you're an artist. But the last thing I want to say is, you may not like hip-hop, but it is art, just like your favorite type of music. And if your type, favorite type of music is jazz or country or rock, R&B or hip-hop is the same thing. You just might not like it. So we can't start judging right. this genre right. of music and not judging the other genres of music. In fact, 
We should not be judging any of the genres. Do you know the power of music? You know what music does? You all know it, you're fans. Music is what tells the stories, but it also, it moves the world. LL, if you had an opportunity to, to mm. say something to this, to this young artist, what would you tell that young person that wants to it, tell stories? It's, it's very simple. Pursuing your, pursuing your dreams had, requires courage. So, you know, you know, the chips got to go where they're going to go. You got to go after your dream. And, you know, it, you know if, if your dream is to climb Mount Everest, then you got to understand that there's going to be storms and slippery slopes and ice and stuff you got to deal with. And you need that extra oxygen canister and different things that you just have to be prepared. And that comes with the territory. So to me, it's about going after your dreams wholeheartedly and not, you know, not allowing fear to even get involved. I mean, you hear people talk about it all the time. It's fear of love. You got two choices, right? You love your dream. You love what you're going after. Go after your dream. And that goes for everybody listening. Go after your dreams. So to close, and we'll go with Harvey, assembly member, professor, and LL. What song were you listening on your way here? And, and how do, and how was it making you feel? <laughs> I was listening to Afrobeat's record that was sent to me by an artist named Stonewall. And it made me feel thankful to be in the position I'm in. It really did. And I know music affects everybody differently. But for me, when I listen to music in my current role, I think how lucky I am to be able to be here to serve music. And that's really where I am in my life. I don't know what happens. You reach a certain point and I want to serve. And so when I heard music driving in today and I thought about the idea of sitting with LL and you all to talk about this really important cause, I felt thankful. I felt appreciative. I felt fortunate to be able to represent music people. Assembly member. Um, you want to know what song I was listening to? And how was it making uh, you I mentioned it. Can't trust it. Public enemy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, professor, uh, what song were you listening to? And, and how did it make you feel? Well, of course I had a playlist of LL on, on the way. I like all the, the you know, the King of Seduction songs, like Hey Lover and, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a big fan, and so I had to replay all of my favorite songs, Round the Way Girl, and yeah. So that's what I listened to, and I was like, God, I miss these, and these are good. And LL, what were you listening to, and how does it When the shark bites <laughs> early white teeth. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much for all you guys' time. This is Pablo Espinosa, and you have been listening to Look West. Look West, baby. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Assemblymember John Sawyer, Harvey Mason Jr., Professor Kubrin, and LL Cool J. I'm Pablo Espinosa. Thank you for listening to Look West. The Look West podcast is produced by California Assembly Democrats. When you think of Californian politics, remember to look west. <laughs>